Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Welcome to episode 137 of Smart Enough to Know Better. We're a podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. I'm Dan Beeston. And I am Gregoire. And in this episode of Smart Enough to Know Better, I'll be introducing you to some cool threads. Are humans the puppy dogs to the feral wolves of Neanderthals? And I'll talk about cryptids until my throat is sore and I'm almost completely hoarse. And I'll be flung back to China before China in Pimp My Time. But before we get there, what happened to you this week in science? This week in science, let's talk about some cool stuff that is happening. Uh, The first one is we have a very cool T-shirt, a whole new design T-shirt designed by Brisbane artist Michael Fitzhugh, uh, who designed for us a cool shirt for Smarter to Do Better. It's got the comedy blimp. It's got dinosaurs. It's got robots. It's got aliens. It's got you and me all attached to the blimp. And people can now purchase this from Redbubble. That doesn't sound very scientific. It's economics. That's very scientific. Oh, no, but, all right. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah no, that makes sense. Really. I'm, I'm going to retract that because yeah. the uh, the Nobel Prize, you don't win a Nobel Prize in economics. You you um, win a Nobel Prize connected to economics or something like that. So you, you have a physics prize, but the economics prize is just in the name of Alfred Nobel. Anyway, different story for a different time. Check yeah, heaven forbid our... we go off on a tangent on our podcast. <laughs> go to uh, our Facebook page or our Twitter feed and you'll see me wearing this fantastic shirt and you can purchase it from Redbubble. How do you find it? It's pretty easy. Just go to redbubble.com and type in smart blimp and you will find it or just look for the smart after a better store or just go to a link on one of our many pages and we'll be pimping it quite often you're going to see it and you can probably purchase it quite easily but it's pretty cool it's a pretty cool shirt yes i've been watching michael do art for decades now he's surprisingly good He's, he's very, very good. I loved it, the fact that I put a, a teaser for this about a month ago of just a, a weird picture of a photoshopped blimp with some other photos I sort of put on top of it so to give Michael an idea. And he took my very, very bad design, which I'll put in the notes as well, and turned into this amazing shirt. It's, it's really cool. So if you want to support the podcast or if you don't even like the podcast but just like really cool shirts – then you can buy this shirt anyway. Greg's image that he gave to Michael was only one step removed from a kidnapper's note where they cut out all the letters from the paper (laughs) and stick it all down. It was pretty good, though. He really ran with it. So I'm I'm very excited by this shirt. So have a look. Uh, It's reasonably priced. I I won't say how much it is. It's a reasonably priced shirt because it all depends where you are in the world and delivery costs and that sort of stuff. But you can get it through Redbubble, redbubble redbubble.com, and then just look up Smart Blimp. We're just going to sit here silently, or are you going to ask me about my week in science? Sure. No, we're just going to bait you. are just sitting here. You're sitting there so self-satisfied with your shirt. You find the shirt shirt. all came together, because you've been working on that for a while. Look at this. Oh, I'm holding it. No, 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 no. Look, look. This is the most useless part of an audio podcast. You could screenshot it. Go on. I can screenshot it. Oh, it's gone all blurry. No, it hasn't. There you go. It's fine. Ah, oh, but I get your face in there too. That's a shame. Oh, it went blurry again. I mean, you've already sent me the image. Fine. Make it difficult. Fine, I don't care. So, Dan, apropos of nothing, how is your week in science? I don't want to talk about it now. Good, fantastic. I don't want to talk about it. Then let's talk about the thing I want to talk you about. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. <laughs> 
I went to Tasmania a week or two ago and drove around the coast. The coastline of Tasmania is nuts. It's so much fun. It's all rocky it's and blustery Very and crinkly. crinkly. Yeah. And I did not realise that that was what the coastline of Tasmania was like. It has lots of little nooks and crannies and bays that sort of curl in on themselves. And there is a bay, and I think it's called Long Bay. And it is quite a long bay. It's got a little pointy mouth and it's very, it's quite long, goes into the country quite a far way. Port Arthur is in there. So if mm-hmm. you're in a ship, you can go to Port Arthur. You'd be in what I think is Long Bay. I think it's actually a collection of different bays and one of them is Long Bay. Mm-hmm. And if you follow it all the way up the tip, all the way up the very end of the bay, there is a little restaurant that we dined at. And we were able to look out over the end of this bay and look at this lo- the lovely sort of f- filled water, which, and we weren't even sure whether it was a, connected to the sea or not at that point. It could have just been a freshwater lake. And we saw how full it was. And then 20 minutes later, uh, we were suddenly surprised to discover that it had gone down like a foot. Mm. And suddenly all the sand was a exposed. Foot, huh? A foot. A foot. Yeah. Like yeah. 29 and a quarter centimeters or so. Uh-huh. That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. About that. Yeah. So a foot and 30.48, I think you'll find, but that's all right. Yeah. I probably shouldn't have made that up off the top of my head, should I? <laughs> oh dear. Look, if we're going to use dumb measurements, let's, um, let's get them let's right. Let's get them right. So we're looking and, uh, all, suddenly all this mud flat is exposed. Yes. And we're like, oh gosh, the, the tide went down really quickly there. Oh, we were quite surprised. And then, can I, can I just point out that one foot for our American listeners, one foot is 0.179 smoots. Oh, that, yeah, no, that would have been a, a lot. That more. makes more sense. Yep. Yeah. Okay. okay yeah. Good. Cool. Yeah. That's right. So it's, it's 0.17. Let's, let's just round it to 0.18 smoots. That's fine. That, you wouldn't have measured the water that much, really. But what happened was 10 minutes later, we turn around and we look back and the water has come back up 0.1789 smoots. 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 Boots, yes. And it's oh, back, wow. it, it was back to the same amount. And I'm like, wow. what the, what the fudge happened there? And I'm like, checking my phone for tsunami warnings because that's what <laughs> Very happens. Very small tsunami warnings. Well, no, I mean, the, the... the water dropped a, a foot and then came back up that, you... and really quickly. Oh, okay. Like within yeah. the span of 20 minutes, it had gone down and come back up again. Right. That's not normal. That's not normal. Are you implying tidal... a supernatural con- reason? Look, just because I say it's not normal doesn't mean it's paranormal. <laughs> or maybe it does. Maybe that's exactly what the word means. But at any rate, could not figure out what was going on. No tsunami warning. And then we sat there for a bit longer and the wind picked up and it dropped another foot again. Ugh. And we came back that night and had dinner there as well. And same thing happened. Dropped down a foot, came back in really quickly. Right. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. I have a couple of theories. It was quite a windy day, mm-hmm. so maybe the wind picked up and, like, hit, put energy into the top of the lake and sort of pushed the water across to one side of the, the lake. And because it's... So was it a lake or was it a, was it a, it's, it's a, a bay? It's a bay. It's a connected bay. Okay, to the right. sea. Yeah. But okay. there's a lot of water in there and a little tiny outlet to go into the mm. sea. So I'm thinking maybe the wind was pushing it against the, the other shoreline and like sucking the water out of the bay. But that doesn't yep. seem very likely. Like that's a, that's a lot of water that's to move. That's a lot of water. The thing is, this is the very pointy end of the bay. And I thought, mm. what if there are a lot of storm clouds in the area? What if the storm clouds are changing the density of the air above the lake? 
and for instance dropping in density making a low like a localized low, low pressure area over yeah. a quite a large part of that bay raising yes. the entire surface of that bay by half a centimeter then the very pointy parts of the bay are where it's going to be affected yeah i, I guess it would require a massive pressure drop though to lift it that high well it, it it would only need to lift a little tiny bit over a large area for the pointy bit at the end to lose quite a lot because it's it's getting tighter and tighter and tighter until it gets to the, the oh i see the so end. Not, it's not raising it up it's actually pushing it down there no it's raising up somewhere else i see what you're saying it raises it up somewhere else by a little yeah. tiny bit but over a large surface area and then yeah. pulling the water at the very tip down a foot right there's just no more water to come in because it's sort of being pulled up and i i'm guessing that maybe that's something but i don't so i don't, don't know we don't know then, so we need we need a meteorologist to get on, in contact with us and, yes. and explain what the heck happened here. Now I have put the call out to Dean Narrowmore. He has not uh, yet yes. got back to me yet, so I'll have to keep you updated as to that. We'll keep you updated. Well, that's, that's for this weather event as it happens, or not as it happens, as it happened weeks Couple ago. Of weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> We're looking to that. That's cool. Now the other thing I want to point out today is. For the last eight years or so, Smile Software Better has been producing content, and Dan and I have loved doing it, and it's all over. We're done now. That's eight it. We're finished. years. Thanks a lot, everyone. Bye. No, it's not true. Dan's looking very surprised eight at the moment. Eight years. <laughs> Man, I don't even do things that I like for eight years. <laughs> so we have decided that we would like to put this out on Patreon. Now, don't worry. Don't panic. I know you just felt all your butt cheeks clenched, gentle listener, and you're like, damn it, they're going to charge us for this thing. It will always be... We should be charge them for the buttock clenching sensation. That's well, lovely. That's that's cool. We can make that one of our tiers. So, Smart Enough will now be available on Patreon, and it'll always be free. We're not going to start charging people for our content. We will just say that, hey, if you would like to support us, $2, that's $2 American a month minimum, that would be How very How many good. smoots is that? How many? <laughs> so we're asking for $2 a month on Patreon, and you can find us on www.patreon.com slash smart enough to know better. No spaces. And well, just type in smart enough to better on Patreon. I'm sure you'll find us. And yes, we're asking for $2 per podcast. If you want to add in more than that, that's fine. If you give us $10 a podcast, we will thank you on the podcast. That'd be kind of cool. Basically, what it means is we can start creating more content. If is you give I have, 20 bucks, I'll abuse you on the podcast. There you There's go, Dan. Will, Dan will actually upset you as much as he can on the podcast. He's pretty good at it. Trust me, after eight years, I do know this. So what we're saying is we will start creating more content as well. I have some ideas, uh, Wild Wonders Why, and a few other ideas I'm going to be throwing out there. So more content will come down the pipeline. But once again, this will all be free, and we're just asking for people to maybe throw a few bucks our way to pay for editing, to pay for, to get us to places so we can talk to interesting people. Basically, podcasty kind of stuff. If you think we're worth it, then throw us $2 a month, $2 American a month. It's pretty, it's pretty easy to do, I think. Um, I use Patreon for a few things already and uh, support a few artists of different sorts. If you want to support us, please look for Smart Stuff to the Better on Patreon. Patreon, that's a good idea because I just, because I know that like the internet and like most of the money made on the internet is from pornography. So when I like a creator, I just send them a picture of me nude. Right. So I just assume that that's the same thing. Like there's value in that, right? Yes, I, I, I guess. Yeah. Honestly, if you don't want Dan to send you pictures of himself nude, then you better start paying up people because it's going to get ugly otherwise. <laughs> this just became a, a, a shakedown. This is great. I love this. This is very different.
Jute. Jute is the second best plant-based source of fiber behind cotton. It's incredibly sustainable, it's affordable and eco-friendly. It is the natural golden fiber that you can spin into hessian, what the Americans call burlap. It right. both looks and feels like shit. <laughs> there is a movement to decorate in an eco-friendly manner and all the people who use jute, they all look like they're living on a coffee farm that is itself on a sailing ship. <laughs> it, it's very Instagrammy. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have rugs and pillows and sofas. They all look like balls and make you feel like you're sitting on ants. <laughs> okay. Now, hessian or burlap well, used to be worn as a shirt, but yes, only yeah. in religious context. It's sometimes referred to as a hair shirt and is yes. intentionally uncomfortable to wear. Well, Thomas, uh, Thomas Beckett, you know, the Thomas Beckett, not the Earl of the Canterbury, the, the deacon, the archdeacon, I've forgotten what they're called. Anyway, the, the head, the head of the church from Canterbury. Anyway, he wore a, he wore a hair shirt, a Hessian shirt until he had his uh, movie. Who will rid me of this troublesome priest? All that sort of stuff. All that good in my history. Look it up. It's important. I go, what the hell is he called? What, what do you call the head, the head of the, um, the church of England? Oh, the man. Pope. No, not the Pope. That's the That's Catholic Catholics. one. The, uh, head. the Protestant, um, the, the head of the Lord Reptile he, Commander. That's the one, Lord Reptile Commander Thomas Beckett uh, from, from in Canterbury got his head caved in, and when they found him, that he was wearing a hair shirt because he was a very pious man. Supposedly it's all bullshit, but uh, who knows? Who knows? That's what you call a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Final um, science, but yes, yes, the, a Hessian shirt is so uncomfortable that people will intentionally wear them to punish themselves. Yes, supposedly it's what God wants you to do. The U.S. Army. Uses it as clothing, right? Oh, uh, but, no. but only for ghillie suits, which are oh, those yes, yes. suits that are all shaggy that make you look yes. a bit like a yeti and a lot like the grass. And so, is it like Chewbacca lay down and got mildew on him for too long? Yeah, yeah, lazy yeah. Chewbacca, lazy Chewbacca suits. Uh, you can, however, eat jute leaves. Oh, good. They are bitter and fibrous. <laughs> like all bitter and fibrous foods, they are very good for you. What the f***, Mother Nature? What the f***? <laughs> Why does the good stuff always taste so awful? Well, it does make sense. As in, back in the day, you needed energy quickly because you didn't know when your next meal was going to be. So things like sugar, which is very high high energy content, was something you desperately wanted. So your body was like, oh, I like sugar. I like fats. I like those sort of things because... If you get a little bit of it in your mouth, then you're going to do quite well. If you eat a honeycomb, lots and lots of energy. Nowadays, we're all sedentary office workers. Not so good. But, um, yeah, that's it's a good thing's tasted good because you wanted to eat it as much as you can, knowing full well you wouldn't get much of it. Yeah, I suppose that's what makes sense. So the jute was always there. You're like, look, once you got rid of the honeycomb and you don't get another honeycomb for six months, don't worry, that jute will be there oh, yum. forever. Yeah. Mm, bitter and fibrous. Uh, it is great for transporting coffee and rooibos. Oh, good. It's sturdy, but it also breathes and doesn't end up with condensation and moisture ruining the product like, say, plastic wood. Ah, okay. So very strong, very breathable. Uh, You can get varying thread counts. Uh, If you really want to treat yourself, you can grab yourself some very naughty 18-thread burlap. Ooh. Sexy. 18 thread. So 18 threads per inch. So I don't know how many stones, swooms... Smoots, smoots that is, but no, purse, purse, however many smoots. But at any rate, that's an inch. Some people know what an inch is. 
Um, that's 0.015 smoots. We are all on the same page now. Okay, other fabrics have slightly higher thread counts. Egyptian cotton is considered the best cotton, and you can get yes. 400 thread say, 19, 20, 400 400. Good they are Lord. very soft and worth every penny, though if you go any higher than 400, you're just pissing money away. So if right. someone's offering you, like, 1,200 thread count, then you're probably being ripped off. Because what they do is they uh, – because you make cotton by getting, like, cotton thread, like, cotton puffs. They look like cotton balls off a – surprisingly enough, they look yes. like cotton balls off a cotton tree, and you yep. weave them into a cotton thread, and then you weave those threads together. But they're like, oh, no, every filament of cotton is a thread. This is a 1,200-thread sheet. It's like, no, uh, okay. it's a 200-thread yeah. sheet, and your cotton is made up of six bits each. Yeah, yeah. you got to make the thread first. Yeah, yeah. Cotton is great. Only problem <laughs> is cotton is mostly grown in monoculture and is a very pesticide-intensive crop. Uh-huh. Uh, although it is only grown on 2.5% of the world's agricultural land, it consumes 16% of all insecticides and 8% of all herbicides used worldwide. So let's look at something a little bit more eco-friendly. How about yes. bamboo? What, sorry? Bamboo. Bamboo. Oh, yeah, bamboo. bamboo socks. Bamboo socks are amazing. You can mechanically process it, crushing the woody parts of the bamboo plant and then using natural enzymes to break the bamboo walls into a mushy mess. The or you na- just be a panda and do it with your mouth. It's, it's, it's hard to get your hands on a panda. Even other pandas seem to have trouble getting their hands on other pandas. Well, like, yeah, they're, they're, just, they're just not interested in each other. They're just like, ugh, what, ugh. I'm just not into pandas, you know? He's like, that's okay, that's fine. Then you're like, yeah, but you're a panda. Yeah, but don't tell me what I shouldn't shouldn't be into. Mm. I really, really, really like Kodiak bears. That's where, woof, Kodiak bears. Mmm, <gasps> big bears. Mm. Oh, it's like a, it, oh, my God, it's, it's, it, it's almost like a reverse furry fetish. <laughs> I only like I only like shaved humans. Oh, shaved humans! There are all these panda bears dressing up in like morph suits and stuff so that they <laughs> don't look furry. Be a smoothie convention. <laughs> a lot of slipping over each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so we've broken the bamboo walls into a mushy mass by passing them through a panda, <laughs> and nice, the natural fibres can be me- mechanically combed out and spun into yarn. This takes too long and is too expensive. Okay. And the th- threads are quite thick still. It's not like your nice cotton threads. They're quite thick ones. So we are going to use some science on this bamboo, as we like to do. As we do. We get rid of the most fibrous part of the bamboo stalk. We use the leaves and the soft pith inside the stalk. These are extracted through industrial steaming process and then mechanically crushed and dissolved in fats of sodium hydroxide, otherwise Mm. known as lye. Yay. Okay. It's environmentally safe when used responsibly. It is nonetheless a nasty caustic chemical that is also found in paint strippers. (laughs) Uncontained, that would qualify it as a toxic spill, but I'm very careful. I'm very (laughs) careful. Bamboo is the fastest growing plant in the world, so it's easy to more than replenish after you've harvested bamboo stalks. There's no need for pesticides or fertilizers for bamboo to grow efficiently, unlike the majority of crops, such as evil cotton. Yes. Bamboo keeps soil from eroding, which keeps the earth where it grows fertile and lush. And a bamboo forest produces more than 30% more oxygen than a forest of trees the same size. So, 
as long as you don't mind the risk of a toxic spill, you could grab yourself some bamboo sheets and sleep comfortably long all night. Or, if you are particularly pious and maybe a terrible person, get some hessian sheets. Good. (laughs) Something humans are pretty good at is domesticating animals. We've domesticated dogs. The dog, yes. Goats. Domesticated sheep and goats. Goats. uh, Canaries. Canaries. Pigs. Pigs. Cows. Yep. Cats. Uh, I don't know about cats. Cats are so domesticated. Anyway, I know everyone's like, oh, they're so wild. They're, they're really not. We domesticated them almost. I think it was the second thing we ever domesticated. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Very early, I mean, 5000 BC. They're domesticated. They're just not clan social animals. Anyway, that's a different story you, of time. Now, you say Birds, that we domesticated dogs, but I'd like to think that we domesticated each other. Well, there's something to that, actually. This is the question, is that are humans actually domesticated? So are we a domesticated ape? I would not describe myself as a wild human by any no. means. <laughs> the uh, the hessian on my back is justification <laughs> enough for that. There was a, a really cool experiment done in Siberia in 1959. A guy called Dmitry Baliev took wild foxes from an Estonian fur farm and started to breed them. And what he would do is he would find the foxes that were friendly to humans or were least afraid of humans and then he would kill all the other ones, and then he'd breed the ones that were less frightened of humans. Maybe foxes can see through time, and the ones that were less afraid of humans were the ones that hadn't been killed in the future. It may be. That's obviously the most simple idea. Um, <laughs> so, but within 10 generations, it's very quickly, these foxes were pretty much domesticated. They started to show domesticated looks about them. So they, they had smaller sh- uh, skulls. They started to have floppy ears. They had white patches on their bodies. They had basically all these things that made them look like domesticated dogs, what basically. What would a fox with floppy ears look like? Well, like a Labrador, Very, basically. Yeah, that, that's right. So these, and this, this idea, this, this um, domestication syndrome, so they have uh, smaller teeth, shorter muzzles, and look kind of different to the wild variant. This happens in rabbits, it happens in dogs, it happens in pigs. All these things happen. Why with, would that uh, be? That's exactly the question, is why does it actually B. Now, one of the ideas is we have something called the neural crest. When you're in the womb, you have a part of your brain that's developing in the embryo, a cluster of cells called the neural crest. And as the embryo develops in the uterus, it eventually forms a fetus. The cells of the neural crest are sent around the body to form different tissues, including ear cartilage, the dentin that makes teeth, the myelocyte cells that produce skin pigments. These cells are all clumped together at one point and then spread out to do different tasks around the body. What's interesting is one of the things they're connected to is the adrenal gland. And oh, wow. The adrenal gland is connected to fear, of course. It's how we generate why we go, oh, no, I have to run away. That, that guy's trying to breed me and then kill me if I'm not friendly. I'm terrified. Oh, I got killed. It's, it's a very bad way of doing it. So there's a theory that this, yeah, basically, if your neural crest developed in a certain way, your adrenal glands will develop in a certain way, you'll be less able to be frightened, and therefore these other physical characteristics will kick in as well. The domestication syndrome will then start kicking in. Over time, 
you start being you breed that into an animal and it becomes less frightened of humans and that means it's certain characteristics of the neural crest are chosen and therefore the body behaves like a domesticated animal so if you wanted a wild human you would keep the mother terrified and <laughs> during development and then the human would come out a bit more savage and no i don't that's getting more lamarckian evolution now we talk that member it doesn't pass that way we uh, maybe probably probably doesn't i shouldn't say it doesn't but it but, probably doesn't but but what so, but what you're saying with the foxes is that it's a chemical thing during the no 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 the neural, the... Crest, the neural crest is a certain way and the way it is leads to some foxes being oh, more right. frightened and less foxes being frightened. You kill the ones that are more frightened. Or, or let's be nice about it. You don't breed the ones that are more frightened. You only breed the less frightened ones. And that means you're breeding in the, the domestication part of it. You're not creating it. You're just channeling it down a certain way. You're, you're, you're saying this type of brain mates with this type of brain, producing a similar kind of brain. So if you wanted wild humans you would have to get a population and kill all the ones that were friendly. Yes. Now, this is one of the interesting points. There is an idea, and it's not like, oh, this is definite, but the idea that a Homo sapiens sapiens, us, might be the puppy dogs to Neanderthals' feral wolves. So Neanderthals, when well, you compare humans... Because Neanderthals are a different species. They're still Homo sapiens, but they're Homo oh, sapiens so, Neanderthals. Okay, yeah. yeah. So we're not saying we developed from them, but we're just trying to compare us. So what's interesting about us, we actually, as as Homo sapiens sapiens, we actually have some domestication syndrome, it seems, compared to Neanderthals. We have a short face, as in a short muzzle, compared to Neanderthals. We have small teeth. Ladies. We We have no prominent brow ridges. And what's really interesting is our relatively large brains are smaller than our Neanderthal cousins. Also, I have floppy ears. And our ears are floppy. <laughs> so maybe yeah, not all parts. It's not actually definite. But it's really, really interesting that we might be a domesticated Homo sapien. But so and, we would have had to domesticate ourselves though by and that's, getting and ourselves that's into situations that weren't as fearful and killing all the fear. No wait. The ones, well, this is the thing, why, why would this have happened? So oh, social. Make... I, I bet it's social. I bet it's because three humans that like each other and get along really well can beat one human that doesn't like other humans. Yep. So, fuck that guy. Yeah. More to the point, don't fuck that guy. Yeah, don't fuck that guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy's staying barren. Yeah, that's, that's right. Because we became more of a social ape and we worked together in groups. I mean, people say Neanderthals also worked in groups. I can already hear the listeners going, they also worked in groups. I, I know this is what's not saying is definitely the reason. It's just trying to work out why, what might have led to us being, inverted commas, domesticated. So humans that were friendly and cooperative and less fearful would have done better than humans that didn't. And therefore, we started breeding in our own domestication. Females would have chosen, maybe would have chosen mates that were not quite as violent and aggressive because they will look after the children more. And you have two parents looking, or more than two parents looking after a child, then it has more chance of getting to sexual maturity itself. So the idea is we self-domesticated, which is pretty cool which is really, really, really interesting. I, I find it fascinating. I always knew that we were the gracile. We were the more thinly boned homo sapien compared to Neanderthals. They were the robust one. Ladies. But, but maybe we're also domesticated. And when they looked into what this means for us, did this actually make us human or did it just come out of us being human? There's an idea that it, it really led to something important, and that's language. 
the concept of language, the structure of language. Because if anyone has a baby, they just innately understand the concept of language. And whatever language you teach them, they pick it up. You don't have to teach them the idea that your noises mean something. Their brains somehow connect that that has meaning very, very quickly and respond to it. And you learn language almost as a, a free plus one mm. on your on your D&D character sheet. Language, you just get it. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to. Even children who are kept away from language learn it. Oh, the, oh, oh yeah, I shouldn't say that because once they get to a certain age, it gets very difficult. But yeah, but there was a, there was the story of all the deaf kids in some country in South America were all sort of lumped in this one school, and they just they had no language. But a couple of years of living together, they developed their own form of communication, their own sign language, so that they could communicate yeah. with each other. It's like innateness. It's pretty neat. And they've done. And they've done actually some experiments. Some uh, university uh, have done some experiments where they gave people a made-up language, just made it up out of nothing, just made up a crazy language, made up of nothing, and told everyone to teach. Like one one group has to learn this crazy language uh, that's made up, and then they have to teach it to other people. And after three or four generations of teaching the language, they're not generations of people, but teaching then suddenly you've got a Star Trek convention. Well, <laughs> basically, yeah. But the language simplified, the fake language simplified. It's not a fake language. It was a language, simple made up language. It simplified and became more useful as it, as it changed and grew and, and evolved. We, we, we're innate language makers. What's interesting here is we're the only creature on earth that does language, does language like we do it, but we're not the only creature that gets meaning from each other trying to communicate so elephants we discussed that uh, last episode yes. so simon kirby at the university of edinburgh yep. in the uk we've started looking into this and a scotsman they're terrible at communication can't understand it birmingham's not you need yeah. to have like subtitles under it when they're talking <laughs> So when they looked at animals that were domesticated, what they said about us was human beings have the ability to learn and imitate complex signals. And we have a sensitivity to other things trying to give us signals. We're good at picking things up. As you said back at the start, dogs can't speak language, but they can convey meaning to us very quickly. We have evolved with them over time. We've trained each other to understand each other. Lots of evidence that actually your brain can see what a dog is thinking just by its body language, and a dog can do the same thing. So yeah, unless you're trying to other. point at something, and it's like, yeah, it's a finger. It's a finger. I get it. It's no, a finger. No, no. no, no over there. It's like, no, no finger. No, no, not, no, that's actually really incorrect. That's something the point that they're trying to make here. What? Um, Dogs, uh, dogs show a human-like ability to recognize communicative intent in gestures. If you point at something, a dog can understand it's not the pit finger at the end of the finger. You're pointing at something over there. Hunting dogs have been doing this for years. You point at the thing you want to hunt, and the dog goes, I know what you're looking at. They, they actually know that you're pointing over there, not at the finger. Now, some dogs are dumb as dirt. Yeah, I Dalmatians that. are poor. Yes. That's They're bred yeah. to run into burning buildings. They have to be dumb. That's <laughs> exactly right. But they, they can understand intent. So, each, so a domesticated animal can understand intent. Chimps can't follow a pointing finger. If you point at something, the chimp will stare at your finger. They're not domesticated. They haven't worked out how to do it. This is the, this is the theory. Other songbirds have done the same thing. Bengalese finches have learned to do vocal learning. They can learn certain patterns to get information across. So there are, I mean, of course, there are some language, um, like chimps can learn sign language. This is not a perfect theory. But I'm really excited about the idea that we're domesticated, that we've somehow, that we've done very well by not being aggressive lunatics. And I know people would go, but we are aggressive lunatics. We're not really. Seven and point, what, 7.4 billion of us, and we're not murdering each other all the time. We are actually quite calm as a species. I, I know we don't see that when we see it on the news. But anyway, humans domesticate. That's what makes it news. 
That's true. Humans domesticated themselves. Yeah, it's not, you, you have a new show and it's like 7.999999 billion humans did not kill anyone today. That's not yeah. news. <laughs> That's not news. Exactly right. So, yes, humans domesticated themselves. I'm excited by this concept and hopefully it'll go from there. We can learn more about it. Sasquatch or Bigfoot, who is who? It's all going down at the Crypto Zoo. Today, we are discussing centaurs. Excellent. The mythical Half. beast. Yes. The body of a horse and the torso and head of a man with arms or and fingers. Or a woman. Or a woman. Or a, or woman. a woman. Yes. Yes. Weird, mm. fanciful beasts are not just the domain of men anymore. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> there are a bunch of weird creatures from fantasy that have strange biology, but the centaur is a very particular case. Body of a horse, torso of a man. What sort torso of parts? Torso of a human. Why not? Torso of a torso of a human. Yes, a man human. <laughs> so, what does that mean? No horse head. One human no head. head. Two arms. Well, what it means is it'd be too hard to do the other way around. It would just be a human running around with a horse head on top. Which is Bojack Horseman. Which is Bojack Horseman. And in fact did very has done very well on the Netflix scene. So maybe maybe centaurs have been wrong the way around the whole time. Well, let's find out. <laughs> because they've got one head, they've got two arms, four legs, two bodies and a tail. So how do they eat? With their mouth. Yes, and then what happens? It goes down a very long tube into the horse's body. No, sorry, sorry. You've, you've missed the human torso. What's inside a no, human torso? I don't think it's, I, I see what you're saying here. I think this is just a tube of muscle that's like a neck. That's all it is. And it just happens to have bulges on it that make it look like the, the well sculpted body of a human being. It's a big muscly tube that squeezes food down like a snake down to the actual part of the body that um, digests the food. Here's my theory on how it actually evolved. You had like a horse like creature and then just luckily over time, it developed just evolutionary wise. It's domesticated. Let's say it was domesticated. So it got a shorter muzzle and it got this, what looked like a human face in the end, like a humanish kind of face. So small muzzle and, and yep. So very domesticated looking. Then just like a giraffe, it needed to reach higher food, Lamarckian giraffes maybe. And it had to get to higher. So it got a long muscly neck. A big, massive, muscly neck that its head was sitting on. Mm -hmm. So now you've got this giraffe-looking thing. Mm -hmm. And once it got up there, it needed to develop some sort of grasping pincers up the top and develop those as well. That is horrifying. Yeah, no, so basically you're talking about a big, meaty tube with pincers on top. A giraffe. That's all it is. It's fine. It's fine. That is even more terrifying than what I came up with. <laughs> Because it's like chewing, get into its main stomach, it has to be able to push it down with a muscly, tuby neck. Is that how it works? Is that how giraffes do it? No, it just falls down for them. But, yeah. you know, it's not, a, it's not a giraffe. It's not a giraffe. That is true. Okay. Horses need to eat 2% of their weight in roughage per day. So that's okay. like 10 kilos of hay and grass. In order to do that, they produce 20 liters of saliva per day. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of saliva to make, but not for a big horse's head. For a little tiny human head... A little bit trickier. Like, the centaurs would constantly be, like, oozing. <laughs> okay. A horse esophagus is one and a half meters long and does not have much reflux capability, so a horse that bolts its food risks choking. They evolved okay. eating, like, little mouthfuls all day, not, like, having a meal. All right, So yeah. they're not a predator. They're a grazer. 
In the centaur's case, they have a human mouth and an entire gastro tract before it gets to the horse stomach. Yes. Which actually saves them. That means that they can eat lots of stuff at the same time because the, the human gastro tract will, like, deal with it and ease it through at a regulated rate. Okay, so we're going to meet, let's meet in the middle here. Let's say that I put forward my idea of the snake-like muscle tube, which you were not impressed with. Okay, that's fine. It took me a while to warm to it because all my stuff relies on the fact that there's a first and second stomach. <laughs> that's okay. No, look, I'm not going to go, let's meet in the middle then. Let's you can have your own centaur and that will get him to fight. <laughs> then let's, I, I'm happy to meet in the middle because once you get to the hip area and the hips are basically gone at that point, and that's where the large intestine and bowel are kept on a human torso. So I'm thinking that if, if, if that's where the horse is, you have the stomach and you have the upper intestine, but then the lower intestine actually then is the actual horse part. A lot of your nutrients are absorbed in the lower intestine. Mm-hmm. So you, you do a lot of the, you, you, you break it up in your stomach, it goes through the, the large intestine to the top, and then it goes into the smaller intestine down the bottom. Have I got the round, round the wrong uh, way? Small intestine first, then large intestine. Sorry, you, sorry, you large, sorry, good point. It makes sense. So the large intestine. And that's where you, you grab all the nutrients. So to make sure that this creature can actually survive, it's got to drag every last bit of nutrients from its food. Yep. If it had a human stomach so it can store more food, and then it had a small intestine to get all the water out. I think that's what it mainly does is take all the water out of your food. Mm-hmm. A lot of your water is absorbed then. And then it's passed to the very much larger horse lower intestine, an area down there. Then that means it would absorb almost everything. And it wouldn't it would be very tiny, tiny, dainty horse poops like a goat. That's, like that's an interesting idea. Only one problem, though, is that the horse needs lots and lots of grass and you need to break that grass down. Yes. And that's really hard. Also, humans aren't good at it, no. Humans are not good at it. Grass has a lot of silica in it, which is very abrasive and wears down teeth. So grazing animals have teeth that are adapted to continually grow, replacing as the worn tooth surfaces quickly. But human heads don't do that. So a centaur would go, like, toothless quite quickly. Yeah, because grinding down all that, yeah. Or you just, do you need to chew it if you're passing it through so many stomachs? So could you just swallow a ball of grass get it down your throat, have the stomach as the first point of breaking stuff up through it, through one human system into another horse's stomach, broken down again. I can't the... imagine that that's particularly effective because cows actually do run grass through a couple of stomachs. Yes. They grind it up in their teeth, they push it down in their stomach, they bring it up, they grind it up some more. Like They are really grinding that cellulose up in order to get access to all the nutritional value in there. Yeah. But human stomachs can't digest cellulose. Cellulose is broken down with an enzyme produced by microbes in the gut of cows and goats and horses. But if the microbe can exist in a horse stomach, which I'm proposing that a centaur has, so just like a cow, a centaur has two stomachs, mm-hmm. but they are, and they are attached with a small and large intestine. Yes. So the human eats the grass or eats whatever they want, but probably a lot of grass and maybe some hamburgers. Their human stomach can break down and absorb the burger stuff and the, and the, and the, and the bread stuff, but it's not going to break down the grass stuff. The grass stuff mm. feeds all the way through. It poops into its second stomach. Yep. Which is so super gross. Well, no, it doesn't, because it hasn't got a, I think it's just a d- next level of the, yeah, it's not, not really, I, I guess it'd be poop, I guess. But not really. It's, I don't know. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a human centipede type or, 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 a, a demi-human centipede deal. 
I guess so. But I feel... it's not so weird for horses to eat poop. Little baby horses eat poop, horse manure, yep. so that they right. can get intestinal flora that they didn't okay. have. And old horses will eat poop because their enzymes are not breaking stuff down fast enough and they need stuff that's pre-digested. Maybe we think of this the wrong way. We're assuming that we've got a creature that has a body of a horse and therefore must eat grass like a horse. It would actually be remarkably hard for a centaur to bend over and get down to grass. They'd have oh, to lower yeah. their They'd have to, have to find, find like their... hills and stand well, at the bottom of them. They lower their legs and weirdly, like, they're not, you don't ever see them hanging out horizontally. They're always vertically from their, they're 90 degrees from their horse torso. They, they stand upright. I'm sure they can yeah. lean forwards, but, but it's like you leaning forward. It'd be very hard for you to bend down and eat grass. Uh, yeah. About bending, about bending your legs. Maybe so, I'm just so, not driven enough. <laughs> but that's, so maybe they're not grass eaters. Maybe they're not at all. We, because with a massive body like that, you need to have a lot of energy in the food or you must constantly eat, as you've been pointing out, constantly eat grass. So maybe they're not grazers. Maybe centaurs, are, that's why they develop. they've developed arms and, and they're useful for, they become hunters, omnivores. So they can, they as they've evolved, this weird sort of structure, they've evolved ways of getting getting access to high-energy foods, such as honeycombs. So they can go get honeycombs, eat all that beautiful sugar, you know, get all, the, all that stuff, or they can chase something down with their horsey feet, kick it to death or stab it to death with a spear and then eat the meat, high energy in meat, all sorts of good things like that. There would be grazing animals that evolved into predators, I imagine. I, I, yes, yes, I, I, I guess they have to. I mean, I'm going I'm to... Aren't there like some here. really hostile horses and cows in the uh, fossil record? They're hostile. I actually don't know if there's any predatorial horses or cows. I'm not sure. But it doesn't mean it couldn't happen. If you if you put something in a niche and it had to eat something, if it's omnivorous, if we look at our teeth, if we're assuming that it's just like a human, humans have ripping, biting teeth in some part and grinding teeth. We have an omnivore's mouth. So if the yeah, centaur... so I guess I guess that really does insist that it's now an omnivore creature. It's become it's become omnivorous. Yeah. So it's it was grinding things up. It just it discovered something that it could eat because of its height or something like that. It could reach with its arms. Started eating that. That's why I keep I keep making the honeycombs. I don't know why, but get, get access to things higher up that it could and, and get high energy. The ones that could get the higher energy food did better. They didn't have to spend as much time grazing and leaning over, so they weren't as open to predators. And that meant the ones that were standing up and keeping their arms free to do stuff are the ones that had the pressure to use those arms to get more energy. So they developed into the centaurs that we know. Another issue is that too much fibre in a human gut makes it at risk of constipation. A centaur would probably have stomach cramps a lot if it ate grass still. Nothing but grass, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I guess so. Now, horses are susceptible to toxic materials in their feed. So a human torso is generally quite good at dealing with toxins. Like, we drink them for fun. (laughs) So, So the liver and kidneys would be able to take care of all that stuff. And then, oh. the, and the horse would get a, a really cleverly filtered set of stuff. Only problem being that we get rid of our waste products by urinating them out. So yes. the centaur would have to have its its bladder, its human bladder, connected to its horse bladder to eventually evacuate all of that. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Or once again, if we're talking, if it did have it originally, we don't know if, if they still one could take over the role of the other. So you could have an atrophied set somewhere that aren't really doing much anymore, just there because they're not really, not really required. So well, it still needs a hose. Oh, no, it doesn't. Well, uh, no, well, you need the human kidney and liver 
to be doing their thing because that's the ones that are really good at filtering out toxins. Horse kidneys don't work as well as human kidneys for what they for toxins. No, not at all. They are they are really delicate. Okay. Yeah, you've got to make sure that they don't eat moldy grass and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Horses are useless. Oh, just dreadful. They're just dreadful. (laughs) Pointless cows. That's why cars have so many compared to so many horsepower. It's like one one horsepower is like crap and keeps falling over and exploding whereas yeah. like 500 horsepower you're actually getting to a point where you can drive a car <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's why they use it that's right yes sex and procreation yep with centaur bodies pretty yep. easy pretty easy procreation is just like horses jump up on the back yep. and with the added benefit is that the boy horse can sort of reach around and fondle the girl horse on her human boobs <laughs> good now they can't they probably couldn't lean down and like fiddle with the horse nipples which i guess would also turn them on maybe yeah maybe 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 definitely i reckon definitely (laughs) although that might say more about me than the actual subject that we're talking about yeah the problem is that when horses deliver a foal they deliver something that looks kind of like a lowercase l but when centaurs deliver a foal they're going to be delivering something that looks like an uppercase l right and that would be an absolute bastard to get out in order for that to come out of the lady centaur, it would be like, um, you know when you go to the markets and you buy those those metal puzzles that are like two nails twisted together and you've got to sort of unweave yep. them and pop them apart, but it's it only works when the angle's just right? And the... Yeah, maybe, maybe. It could just be that the human torso is lying flat against the back of the horse. Like a big hook. Like a, No, well, just, it's flat, so it basically comes out like a... And with the legs all pulled up... And the human horse, the human head facing all the way backwards. So the head and the bum come out at the same time and it comes out like a giant pill almost. Come, and, and it sort of unfolds afterwards like a yes. butterfly out of a chrysalis. Yeah, it hits, the, it hits the deck. Like they, they get dropped. You know, a lot of time they get sort of, they get birthed and then fall. And then it hits the deck and then the um, amniotic bag gets ripped and then it sort of goes sprung into position. Ah, I like that. <laughs> Pops Pressure, up, the, yeah, 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 like butterfly wings. That they, the blood pumps into a certain area, and the muscles of the back, human back. Yeah, well, I mean, into... baby skulls do that, don't they? Baby skulls yeah. in like seven different parts, so you can squeeze That's it right. out. So maybe the and, the whole human part of a horse is all rubbery and. And and the one the one big problem with human babies at the moment is that the vaginal opening is only a certain size, and the the human head is too getting is quite big. And even as a baby, so it can't get any bigger. But it, horses are quite large, strangely enough. So they, I'm going to I'm going to assume they they could probably birth something of a higher percentage size than than humans can. Oh, and and little baby horses can get up and run around immediately, but close, baby yeah. humans can't even hold their heads up. Like that would be hilarious. So the baby would be running around, but the human would just be flopping around like one of those <laughs> one of those inflatable dudes that sell cars. <laughs> um uh centaur would have two sets of lungs because it's got two torsos yeah one long trachea to connect it all together yeah i would say that once again the human lungs in that case would just be um vestigial or if not vestigial then at least not the primary lungs they're just a secondary smaller set of lungs sort of like a valve like a when you're diving you need a big pump to pump the air down yeah so you kind of need like it's like an intermediary like a like a wi-fi expander but for air (laughs) yes yeah only because horse lungs would be huge and then 
you probably don't need you probably don't need to have another set of human lungs to make it all work. They're just there to help out for to get more oxygen, or as you said, to pass the air down to the other set of lungs. Mm. Kind of like the brontosauruses had a second brain in their hips to they, help they them. They didn't. They didn't. Yeah, they I'm didn't. sure I read it in a book uh, in the seventies. Yes, not a thing. That's no, not a no, thing. No. No. Okay. Good. Not a thing. Good that we're good that we know. <laughs> they have. They'd have one little heart and one big heart. Yes. We know what happens when a human has two hearts. Heterotopic transplant pairs a new organ with a diseased organ. So they get a, mm. someone else's heart and they put it in next to your heart and they get connected together and they pulse together, supporting each other. Okay. Um, so in a centaur's case, the heart signal would need to be shared between the hearts. So both hearts yeah. would have to be pumping at the same time because if they get out of sync, you end up with all sorts of blood pressure issues. Yeah, yeah, that could be a problem. Although the question is, if a centaur has a heart attack in its human torso, can it continue to survive with the other heart in their body? I'm going to say yes. Yeah? And why I'm going to say yes is I'm going to base it on the other thing I know that has two hearts, and that's Doctor Who, Time Lords. Oh. Time, Lord, Time Lords yes. have two hearts, and the Doctor has on numerous occasions had one heart stop, and then they've started the other heart and he's survived. So he can definitely, it's not good. He's in pain and also he sometimes passes out. Sometimes he staggers around. So I'm going to say the same thing for a centaur. If you're a centaur and you have a human heart attack, I'm going to say you can, and let's say it stopped and it's really bad. Like what would normally kill a human? Mm -hmm. I'm going to say you you could probably survive for a while, but you'd probably die in the end. I think think everything probably dies in the end. But but you know what I mean, like as in I think I don't think you'd be running around at that point. You may you may linger on for a while whilst other systems go into problem have problems, but you could probably stay alive longer than a human who had a heart attack, a massive coronary failure. If it was the other way around and the horse heart had a heart attack, I think you're stuffed and that you just like having a human heart attack. I think you're just dead, hit the ground, massive coronary. And then you uh, regenerate. And then you regenerate as as all centaurs do. Yes. A well known centaur yes. fact. Into um Christopher Equiston. That's very good. Uh, um, Jody Winnieker. Oh, there you go. That, that's it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> my time. All right. The time travel door closes. Uh. I set the dials as per our listener Arnim Summers commands to chew. <laughs> 250 BC, not even uh-huh. knowing where Chew is or what it means. Yeah. You've got an hour to figure out how to pimp your time back in and 250 BC, Chew. And you're sending me to Chew and I can't come back a Chew back a Can I turn this time machine into a, into a suicide booth? Is it too late <laughs> for that? <laughs> too late. You already closed the door. So I have one hour. And I was stumped. This is really hard. My knowledge of China, which is what this is, well, the area we now call China, is actually quite low, just as a lot of Western education does. I have a lot of knowledge of Europe and Rome and all sorts of exciting places like that, but not of China. But I looked into it, and it seems that the province of Chu was one part, one of the big provinces, actually, after the Zhao dynasty. So this is before there was actually a China, as in China, China, what we think of China. 
and the Chu state was the big was one of the big states. Chu rose in the eighth century BCE around the present uh, present province of Hubei in the fertile valley of the Yangtze River in South China. So you get the idea; it's sort of where the fertile areas I are. I never think about China as being fertile for some reason. It's very all fertile. Of, yeah, all of my all Yangtze. of my ideas about the China are of smog and cities and concrete. They've got to feed the people somehow out yeah. of the world. And, yeah. The Yangtze River is one of the great rivers of the world. I mean, that's that's the whole... Basically, civilizations grew up around the rivers. I mean, we know a lot of the ones because of the Bible and that sort of stuff, but they had the whole fertile area around the, the Fertile Crescent. The Chinese had the Yangtze River. And Chu was on the Yangtze River. They... They could build this big area. And it grew over time and became this mighty power that could dominate the other states. When they broke away from the Zhu dynasty, about seven different little states all sort of vying for control, Xin being one of them and other ones, well, Chu being others, lots of different groups. Zhao, Qi, Yan, Wei, all sorts of different groups, all madly fighting for control. At the time that I am sent there, things are starting to look bad for the Chu state. It's the time of the warring states. I hadn't mentioned that. As well. Oh, they're ironed it off? They're, they're all battling the crap out of each yeah. other by the time I get there. So who's looking uh, at Chu? Well, that's, uh, well, Chin is looking at Chu. Uh, lots of people are looking at Chu. But Chu is kind of the big kid on campus. Now, I was thinking to myself originally, okay, what am I going to teach these people? Can I teach them writing? No, it's China. Can I teach them astronomy? No, it's China. How about ceramics? No, it's China. How about record keeping? No, it's China. How about the army? <laughs> they no, already know it's everything. China. How about uh, agriculture? No, it's China. Uh, basically, <laughs> China had their crap down well before barbarians stopped eating poop. So I'm in trouble. I am a filthy white guy turning up to tell the Chinese what to do. And I'm glad the ruling of our time machine is they don't just murder me and throw me into a ditch because <laughs> I may be in trouble. I bet Trump wishes he had the same uh, reassurances. <laughs> yes. I spent a lot of my time just learning about where I was going and what I was going to do and what time period it was. I really had no idea. And suddenly I had a brilliant idea. I remember something that came percolated through education, and that was the great Sun Tzu. And I was like, yes, Sun Tzu, the Is art it? of war. Art of war, yeah. Yeah, the art of war. And I was like, oh, so I started looking into the art of war and how they talked. And he may not have existed. He may uh, basically Sun Tzu means master sun. He was a military and a strategist. He might not have existed. Uh, it may just be a conglomeration of writings all put into one person. We're not terribly ah, sure. Like Shakespeare. Uh, yes, yeah, just like Shakespeare. Uh, so, and I was like, yes, finally, because a big thing that Sun Tzu said in the art of war is trick your enemies, stop being honorable. Don't just meet them and line up in a line and murder each other. No, come in from the sides. When they think you've got small number of troops, have large numbers of troops. They think they've killed your general. Make someone look like your general and parade around pretending to be a general. Be a tricky, tricky person. So basically. the art of war is how to be a cheater. It's how to be a gorilla, basically. Yeah, wow. It's a big part of it. Now, the big difference between Sun Tzu and, really, a lot of this is there's lots of different arts of war, so please don't, if you're listening, please don't get upset. There's also my very limited understanding of it. There's different versions of arts of war as well. We're talking about the art of war and the art of war. What they don't believe in is guerrilla war as in long, protracted engagements. But that's a different thing for a different time. They get in, get out, lightning fast, trick, 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 trick. And I was like, I, I will be a tricky Westerner, and I will teach them all about the art of war, and it'll be Gregoire's art of war. It's the art of war. Art of war. <laughs> That's right. Maybe Sun's master Sun was actually me, and 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 I hid. They hid who it was because they were embarrassed that that was some white guy. 
And I was very proud of myself with only a few minutes to go or maybe 10 minutes to go. I'd worked it all out and I knew how to pimp my time. Mm -hmm. And then I looked up when Sun Tzu existed. I would assume sometime after 250 BC. No, 250 years before. Ah, so you are, you are, that's dated. That's like turning up in England in the 1980s and going, I've got all these Shakespeare, I mean, uh, Beeston plays. (laughs) That's right. Uh, There are some people say that the Art of War was actually written after this time, but most of them say no, this was written before this time, even it was written by lots of people. So I'm stuffed. I am utterly doomed at this point i really am in a lot of trouble so what's gonna happen so choose your fate uh choose your own adventure ah yeah Uh, yeah yeah. that's uh it's it's pretty good so the (laughs) i have a problem and that is i know that king kaoli of chu is going to die in 238 and then even more importantly the uh chu are going to lose to chin in about 223 oh dear BC. So, so i've got i've got about 25, 25 years. years it's a, it's a, i am like oh no and and chu will go down because as a, people point out chu is the big guy has big armies but it has a problem is it it can't get the resources it needs so a protracted fight with chu will actually mean they'll lose and that's what Chin does to them in the end, is takes them out, tricks them into bringing their army somewhere else, follows the old art of war, tricks them, and then wipes them out, and they, they can't retaliate. They haven't got the resources. So I keep thinking, okay, what am I going to do? What am I, I've got 10 minutes to go. So I start looking around the world. Any ideas? Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to work this out? And I realize that... Transistors, of- barbecue chicken, vacuum sealed, sous vide machines. Guns, guns, guns. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, all the things I can't make. And I really was panicking at this point. I'm, I'll get back. I won't be... Okay, the first time we ever not pimped a time at all was coming to the point. I even sent you a message. I text messaged you in real life, Dan, going... I can't, I'm, I just don't, I'm not, oh God, I'm stuffed. I'm so stuffed. I, I think the text message was, hey, just to confirm, what was the date that I was going back yes. to? 250 yeah. BC. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, that was when I worked at the Sun Tzu thing wasn't going to work because I had got my date wrong. And then I realized something. At that point in time, exactly the point in time, the Roman Empire is doing very well. Rome. Europe is doing really nicely at that point. Well, mm-hmm. the Roman part of Europe is doing very, very nicely. And I went, Ah, uh, maybe here's something I can take some ideas from. The Chinese, well, not the Chinese, the Chu, the Chu state, they were very advanced in a lot of areas, but not in other areas. Like all civilizations, you have ups and downs. And I realized one thing I could give them to get my foot through the door is give King Kaoli, which I'm probably saying that very wrong, the, the king, I would say to him, what I want to do is give you better armor. You're wearing what's at the moment something called lamellar armor. And lamellar armor is little squares of leather and all metal and all metal bolted together like um, little playing cards all put on a table all together and joined up. Oh, it's it's that you visualize it when you think about a samurai outfit. Like yes. lots of layered plates and stuff. Yes, not not layered though. That was that came later on. Oh, okay. So the, the, these are just plates uh, next to each other and, and but not on top of each other, not, not crossing. Ah, each right. Other. So joined together with bits of leather or punched through, and that meant that weaponry could pierce it because it could go between the gaps a sword could be stabbed through the gaps an arrow the crossbows had repeating crossbows at this time they were were doing very well but their armor was a little bit dodgy at this point compared to what the romans were doing what the romans were doing was something called the lorica segmentata which is these bands of metal that overlap like long thin bands yeah long long thin band 
and then layered slightly over the band beneath it, so it stuck out. So it basically looked like the scales of a dragon, so they were covering each other. Ah. And you have a whole breastplate, of, well, it's basically round, it goes round, and it, you, you bend it so it goes round, and you tie it off with rope on the back, and you join it up like that. So you have these plates now. Plates, 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 plates. Like the Romans in Asterix. Like the Romans in Asterix and Oblix. That's right. Exactly right. So when you think of Roman armor, you are thinking of Lorica Segmentata. That's what you're thinking of. Wow. So that's, that's, and that, that armor lasted a long time, like a really long time. It was very, very popular. It was very, very good at what it did. And I'm pretty certain, well, I know the Chinese had access to iron and that the state, and they also had access to, um, it seems there's evidence they had access to steel as well, some crappy versions of modern steel, but they could make Lorica Segmentata. I could also teach them how to get into the tortoise. So the not as in the to, to start well, using like the a whole, bestiality thing again. No, no, like, a, like not a fairy convention, but a scaly convention. Yes, that's exactly that's exactly what it is. No, the Tetsudo formation. So the, when you think of the the Romans coming, they lock all the shields together, they put the shields above their head, and they all march together. So when you're firing the crossbows or repeating crossbows at them, it, you give them these large shields. So they didn't really have large shields. The Chinese or the 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 Chu didn't seem to have large shields. So I'd teach them how to do. Hey, large shields look like a tortoise. And um, wear this Roman armor, and you're going to do better against the Chin. Where you're going to be more armored, but that's not enough. No, I, it's it's not going to work. No, and I I think that the important thing to do is to get more resources because that's what that's what ends up taking out the Chu later on. So what so, they sort of lock themselves in, and they well no they or... they don't have they don't have enough resources to keep fighting forever. So ah. they, need, they can't go against the Chin. So I also remembered vaguely at this point about some leader of china much much later building large fleets and there was a guy called zheng he in the 14th century who had these big flat bottom boats that would go as far as india but that's much 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 later and that's when i realized what we could do they're building pretty good boats so 100 bc the chinese were starting to trade with southeast asia and down into indonesia so start early Chu has access to the sea. They act, they have a big seaboard. They can use it. They can start building boats. They can start trading with people or taking people over down south. Get out into Asia earlier. Start getting resources sent to them. So you can't cut off their resources unless you cut off their seaways. So they'll have lots and lots and lots of resources. So when the Chin start coming in, they get met with a, a Chu that actually have a lot of resources at their disposal. And just, just make sure that you don't send any boats to Thailand with printing presses on them because <laughs> that could really screw up one of my previous ones it really really could i was thinking more going to india i really want to go to um india which i will have to go past thailand to do sorry about that but that's much later we're not in the same period of time i don't think and and starts trading with them and then if we survive against chin i think china would have been called chua i think i think because the, the the chin becomes it becomes when it all joined it together becomes china, china. So I the chua would be tuna. Tuna? Well, chin is where the end comes from. So chua, maybe. Maybe I'm totally wrong. This is whole horrible. We shouldn't mention it. But, but yes, that's how I would pimp my time is armor and then boats. But why I'm doing that is because I don't think they're going to win against the chin. I don't think it's going to work very well. It'll hold them off for a while, but I think it's in the end they're not going to win. So I just want to make sure that I have a fleet, that I'm the uh, a fleet admiral, who can be very far away with a <laughs> fan. And I've made friends with the Indians, at least trading with them, and I can get to Rome very quickly if I need to. That's my plan. Escape. 
escape. <laughs> Try, hold off the assaults for as long as possible and then get the hell out of Dodge. I think you have done reasonably well with quite a tricky <laughs> challenge. Well done to Arnhem Summer for uh, yes. putting Greg on the back foot. It was, it was a hard one for me, just with what I know. So, Dan, yes. in response to that, I'm going to send you to Cordoba in Spain uh, in 1000 AD. Cordoba in Spain in... 1000 AD. 1000. All yeah. zeros. Nice. I thought I'd round it out for you, make it nice and neat, make it all nice. That's all I'm doing. Can you for, send me really. back to New Year's Eve 1999 just so that I can? Because that's going to be a blowout, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, Spain <laughs> I must be going off. December, <laughs> December 1999. No, no, no. I'm sending you to a thousand eight. Oh, You're sending me oh. just before, uh, just after one of the biggest parties. Okay, but, but, but okay, fine, fine. I'll send you to nine nine nine. Yeah, Cordoba, Spain. There you go. This is gonna be fucking awesome. I like that. Gonna idea. party I'm like, like it's... beep beep. Okay, beep 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 beep. You're yelling at me through the glass. I just thump the machine, and the timer goes click, and it clicks over one year. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Walk of Shame. In the Walk of Shame, you guys catch us out on the mistakes that we've made and we embrace our mistakes and we embrace the opportunity to be better people. That's right. I love the Walk of Shame. It's very good. Do you have any Walk of Shames? I have one Walk of Shame. So do I. Ah, who's your Walk of Shame for? My Walk of Shame is is for me. My Walk of Shame is for me. <laughs> it's not how we normally do it. That's not that's not right. Okay, so, the the so, audience have buggered up and they've sent them to the wrong people. Well, no, that's not. Actually, my walk of shame was sent to me by a listener and longtime interested person on the show, Gregoire. That's uh, so... Do I know Gregoire? Yeah, you worked with him for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I made a comment last episode about the about the space roadster. Elon Musk sending his car, his, his cherry red roadster, into space and how it's tumbling now in a, in a trans-insertion orbit to past Mars. So it's going past Mars into the – slightly into the asteroid belt, not really, but, yeah, past Mars in, in yep. a heliocentric orbit. We weren't too sure if the upper stage of the rocket was still attached to the roadster. Yes. I had no idea, in fact. I hadn't even thought about it. So I went and did some research. And I waited for someone to write in and tell us from the listeners, but no one ever did. So I went and did my own research, and that's why I had to send it to myself. Uh-huh. So I wrote to myself, Dear Greg, you're very good on that podcast. Nice. <laughs> I like this. No, he said, yeah, I, I okay. Like Does he mention me? I, I don't I don't like listening to you very much, uh-huh. but I enjoy the work you put into it. I see. I I'm see. very hard. I don't so, like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I did a little research into the space road stuff. From gizmodo.com, Eric Holthas over at Grist reported that you can just head over to the NASA Jet Propulsion Lab's Horizon web interface, click change next to the target body, type in SpaceX, and hit enter. Uh, in the write-up, it states, a plaque on the attachment fitting between the Falcon Heavy upper stage and the Tesla is etched with the names of more than 6,000 SpaceX employees. This seems to imply that 6,000? Tesla... How many does it take to launch a rocket into space? There's not even any moving parts. It's just okay. you light one end and it goes up. That's a, there's a lot of moving parts. What are you talking about? Oh, it's moving. like a firecracker, but bigger, right? Uh, yeah. No. 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 That's, no. Why they no. Can't, that's why they do the countdown. The, the fuse is like 
is is segmented. <laughs> Back in the day, they would have had solid fuel that would have just burnt, and you couldn't switch it off. You just once you once you lit it, it burnt. That's more like a Roman candle. But no, nowadays, new. No, no, no. anyway, so writing the name on the fairing between the the attachment, sorry, between the upper stage and the Tesla implies that the Tesla and the upper stage are traveling together. They didn't release them. They never they never ditched the two. Mm-hmm. So, and usually they disconnect the second stage and the satellite, in this case, the Roadster. But the second stage is large and white and easy to spot compared to the Red Roadster. So it's much, much bigger. So it seems that the Roadster and the upper, the second stage are actually still joined in space. Cool. Now, here's the other thing. We also talked about you saying it was tumbling through space and I wasn't too sure. So this so Greg Redon's right. I think Dan is incorrect. So it was, oh, so this one is also for you as well. I didn't check that. Oh, right. So the car and second stage are spin-stabilized, which helps by providing gyroscopic stability and thermal distribution. If you observe the live feed, you may notice that it is spinning in a counterclockwise motion. So it's not just tumbling through space. It has been spin-stabilized so that it doesn't just heat up on one side crazily. Uh, and also means that you don't just get like a going all over the place. It's been basically slightly stabilized in its spin anyway. But still rotating around. So there we go. When you say it's rotating, it's rotating along its long axis. It, um, it was, uh, yes, yes, rotating along its long axis, yes. Like a barrel it's roll. Not, it's not tumbling through space. Yes. No, it's not going head over heels. No, no, no. That's right. So that's it. So it looks like joined together still and spin stabilized. Cool. There we go. Walk of shame. Well, that's not a walk of shame for me. That's what I said. No, no, you said it was tumbling. You, you, you said it was tumbling through space. And I, I said barrel roll. I said barrel roll. Well, th- th- uh, you said tumbling. We'll have to go back and check the footage. Great. Now I've got to do call. Now Dan Beeston has to call out Gregoire on Gregoire's calling out. Oh, this is just a, <laughs> this is a snake eating its own head at this point. Or a centaur eating its own poop. <laughs> All right. So I had a listener called Joshua Devlin write in and point me to an article that says the Black Death was probably not spread by rats. Uh-oh. The long, the long-held theory was that the rats carried the plague, the fleas bit the rats, and then transmitted the virus to humans. But the rat population doesn't appear to have been large enough to support that, plus transmission would jump from person to person in a household without rats necessarily being in the mix. Mm-hmm. As I understand it, a rat can't be infected from a human via a flea. It could only potentially go the other way. So you, you could go rat, flea, human, but not human, flea, rat. Okay, yeah. It takes more time if there's rats involved, and it that should have slowed the spread of disease. It doesn't make sense for the outbreak to have been so explosive it, if it had to rely on both humans and rats and fleas all being there. So what they suggest is that human lice communicated the disease and rats had nothing to do with it. Oh they did statistical models of what transmission should look like with rats and what it should look like with only body lice. And the rats one didn't really match up, but the body lice one matched 90% of the time. Now, we've also proven that the plague can go from humans to body lice. We've discovered human lice on someone who's infected with the plague shows the plague virus in them. And you can even get that lice to bite a rabbit, and the rabbit will get the plague. Okay. Um, they've not proven that a human can be reinfected from lice because of ethical guidelines. <laughs> the thing, thing about this story, number one, my pin my time still would have gotten away with it, so long as the peppermint scared off the body lice as well as the fleas, which not necessarily the case. Right. Number two, 
I wasn't relying on that no, chemical. No, that's one thing you were doing. That, yes, that's that right. That was my backup thing. Me relying on it was just selling it. Yes. <laughs> and the reason I was a little bit iffy about that is because I, I actually knew about this article. Like, I'd stumbled <laughs> upon this article while I was going uh-huh. through. And are you trying to get out of it, Dan? I, are you trying to get, is that what you're trying to do? Are you well, trying to get out of it? here's the thing. I considered bringing this information to the podcast, but I only found out about it at the very end of that hour, and I'd kind yes. of run out of time, and I justified it to myself because it's still just a hypothesis. Right, okay. Okay, yes. so that's how I justified it to myself. But the real reason I left it out is because I really wanted to talk about mousetraps. Yeah, right. right yeah. So... I would like to thank Joshua Devlin for bringing this up because ultimately I've intentionally misled the audience for narrative effect. And that's what, and that's what we always complain about the, the media for doing and the movies. And it is the absolute antithesis of what this podcast is about. (laughs) So thank you for keeping me on the straight and clear Joshua Devlin there's a very good chance that none of my Pimp My Time stuff would have worked. And thank God for that. So I take my walk of shame with my head held high, knowing that I'm becoming a better person. (laughs) Uh, If you hear Greg say something that's wrong, please contact Dan at smartenough.org. And invariably, uh, once Dan screws up, send it to greg at smartenough.org. Because you're going to stuff up. As long as you can discern who's... Voices who's. That's right. I'm Greg. And I'm Greg. (laughs) You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. Also, Dan at smartenough.org. That's not really helpful either. You can follow us on Twitter, SE2KB. And Facebook, SE2KB. Also, Facebook at (laughs) SE2KB. And don't forget Twitter, SE2KB. You can go to smartenough.org and you can comment in our comments section. You can click on all the buttons there. Oh, I suppose one of the buttons there should be a link to our Patreon. That's right. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, we are now up for Patreon. We are asking for patrons. So we're thinking $2 a month. There will be extra content coming down the pipeline. We'll probably get, hopefully, once every two weeks, if not more often, doing something interesting. Oh, don't, kind of don't, don't promise more often than two a month because... We'll, look, we'll see how it goes, depending on how popular it is. I'm getting $2 palpitations. It will be $2 a month. You definitely get a podcast per month. You'll probably get more than one podcast per month. There you go. There you go. That's I'm a little bit more conf- confident with that. Under under commit, over deliver. That's how I'm going to work this. And, uh, yeah, so please support us. Um, if you can, $2 would be great. That's what we're asking for. Any more than that. And as I said, Dan will uh, will uh, thank you on the show. If it's a lot of money, Dan will insult you on the show. Yeah. If, if you have any ideas for us, let us know, and we can probably work with you as well. More importantly, not more importantly, as, as importantly as the Patreon is our shirt. Click on the link and have a look at this amazing shirt. I am really, really happy with this shirt. It is a great picture of the comedy blimp and dinosaurs and robots and aliens, all sorts of crazy things. It's a really fun shirt. So have a look at that. And remember, you're supporting us and you're also supporting Michael Fitzhugh, local Brisbane artist. So that's always nice too. Yeah, um, well, so actually, you, you supported Michael by I paying him. And now you listeners, you have to help out poor Greg, who is now in the red. <laughs> that's 
that's all right. I don't mind. I'm happy to support local artists. If this does well, I will be getting other artists to do other shirts for us with different styles and maybe even go back to Michael as well. So we'll put links to Michael's work. You can buy his stuff as well. He's, he's a very, very good artist and you should support him. You can buy his stuff online now. He's amazing. Dear listeners, dear wonderful listeners, we would like you to like the Facebook page. We don't normally ask this sort of stuff, but we, if we have more people liking the Facebook page, it starts appearing in more algorithms to be very useful to us as well. So please go and like the Facebook page, write us a comment, whatever you can do, make sure you, that it's visible. Also, write us a review. Because we're going to Patreon, we'd like more people to see it so we can spread the love and maybe make a bit of money out of this. We're not trying to make our living out of it, we're just trying to make no, it. No, they're itself. trying to pay me back for all the audio gear I keep having to buy. That's right. That's what it's mainly for. So think we about are that. we are not in the black, ladies and gentlemen. So please, so maybe if, if you can't pay with money, then please pay with lovely comments and at least liking pages, telling some friends about us would be very very helpful. Or to send pictures of yourself naked to us. No, no, they, we, no. We established that this has value, right? And, uh, no, no, we said no, 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 no. And as we always like to say, demi human centipede. The thing is that this... The thing is... God damn it. Fuck you. (laughs) Stupid mosquito. Archbishop of Canterbury. Yeah, got there in the end. But surely a full bishop would be the... Like on top of an archbishop. Why would a full bishop be on top of an archbishop? Well, an archbishop would be like a... Is that like a demi-bishop? No, no, it's arch. He arches oh, over them. Oh, it's over the top. He can, he, can, okay. he, can bend, he can bend over backwards over them. He's like, I'm the arch over you. It's like a They're hyper like, bishop. Well, yeah, yeah. He, yeah he's sort okay. of four-dimensional bishop. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he is. That's, it's that from sense. four-dimensional chess. Yeah, that's all fine. Is that what, not, what Trump's playing or something? No, I don't think I don't think he's playing anything. I think he's just yelling things on Twitter. Uh, yeah, no, I thought it was a really interesting one. And, and managed to get Neanderthal boning in there. So that's why it's good. That's nice. That's, that's Tick the thing. box. Smart enough. No better. Bingo. <laughs> I'm glad you went to the Doctor Who thing. Oh, like good, I was good. leaving little breadcrumbs for you to pick oh, up on that. Right. Yes. <laughs> and I literally have the last line here is... Or would they die and then regenerate into maybe Christopher Equiston? Uh, or Jodie Winnicar? Oh, uh, you got so the you joke. got oh, the wow. joke. Oh, like, I was like, oh, I was very impressed. That's very good. We're, in, we're, we're like an old married couple now. <laughs> <laughs> the obvious jokes. Yay. It's not actually that obvious. I think it's a, I think it's a good joke. It's yeah, a it's one. a great joke. It took me ages to get that. <laughs> <laughs> it just it just came. Yeah. I was like, motherfucker, I spent 10 minutes here going through all the doctors, looking just, up names I, of horses. All I said then was, I just went to it and went, Jody, Jody Whitaker, Jody, oh, Whitaker, there it is. Oh, and, oh, that's really great. That's really useful. Because <laughs> I was sitting there going, Jody Whitaker, what, what, there's a horse Winnie thing that's like Winnie, 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 yeah, 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 that's it. Took me ages to get that. You just went, boom. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite funny. Well done. As always, thank you all for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, we... They're not listener. ladies or gentlemen. No, I know. It's right. They're filthy listeners. Filthy <laughs> listeners. Sweaty, filthy. stinky uh, listeners. We're about to ask them for a favour, Dan. Don't do this. Yeah, Here's listen- a favour. Have a shower. <laughs> Have a shower, you filthy listeners. You're not helping. Dear I really do. Listener. It's not my charter. Lovely, lovely. It's not my M.O. <laughs> We probably do need to create 
a video saying, hey, welcome to Patreon. You know, thank you very much. Maybe we could just get it out there and then we could do that when, when I turn up and see you. That's our first stretch goal is to actually complete the Patreon page. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good. Mm-hmm.